Here we are. <laughs> We've arrived. Welcome to season two. I would firework, like firework, firework, applaud, applaud. It's like the Fourth of July. <laughs> Gunshots. <laughs> oh, rained out like a bell. I grabbed my nine. All I heard was shells falling on the concrete real fast. <laughs> and my car slammed on the gas. Bumper to bumper, the avenue's packed. <laughs> and then we should just be like ice, 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 baby. Season two. Wow. If that isn't a opener, I don't, I don't know, know what it. My name's not Buffy. No. Which it's not. It's Slickety Jim now. <laughs> I don't know. There's a cafe on Main Street named Stick Slickety Jim's Cafe. Slickety Jim's Cafe. <laughs> took me a while to say. All that vegan cheese. We just had a really delightful day. Um, also, this is like only the second time in the year I've seen Buffy, so that's like fucking criminal. Yeah, we've been counting down the days yeah for and, quite some time mm-hmm. and so that's like got us bubbly and high <laughs> and then i present and then she cut up like all these pickles and grapes because my stomach was like gurgling <laughs> and then i pulled out this toy walrus that i brought and i was like this is our new mascot so i'm obviously on a level of some mental breakdown <laughs> if i want to buy like a child's playable Flamable plastic. Flamable. <laughs> Morris that we named Ronnie. He's cute though. And I got out my portable diffuser too. Yeah. Fuck. And then James delivered vegan pizza through the window. It was a good time. In celebratory. To keep the party going. Yeah. Oh, and Daniel brought us plates. Yeah. Yeah. We're really getting spoiled. We really are. We're still recording on the floor, but. I know. One step at a time. Daniel came in like a proud dad. Like, you keep, did. keep going with the project, guys. You guys are you guys are doing great. Let me know when you need a ride home, okay? <laughs> I'm going to be out here. I'm just going to be in the paper. He's <laughs> from Minnesota all of a I sudden. I got my puzzles out, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but welcome to season two, sweet, sweet humans that are listening. Yes, we have so many exciting things coming this season. We've mm-hmm. really went back to the drawing board. We did a lot of planning. Yep. We came up with a couple of new ideas we want to try out this season, so... I think it's gonna be a very fun and interesting busy time for us. I agree. We've got some really important changes, but before mm-hmm. I can tell you about that, you have a sesame seed like right by your eye line. My eyebrow? What? Your, your eye line. Your like lower <laughs> lash line. There's like, a sesame <laughs> seed. It must mean good luck. Oh, wow. <laughs> there were sesame seeds on the pizza. I don't like grow sesame seeds no, out of my no. eyeballs. We totally, I haven't seen any sesame seeds today. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but actually, another surprise. Ooh, twist and turn. It's not another verse of Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> it is this tiny cheese. A tiny camembert cheese for you, sweet Buffy. <laughs> to tell you how proud I am of you. Thank you so much. Buffy just got a really cool job. Still oh, in makeup, obviously. And you're so sweet. It's season two. It's really just a tiny cheese, but a tiny wheel of camembert. I like how it says, so proud of you, Buffy, but the way you wrote it, it looked like so pad of you. Yes. Again, I'm just like, still, <laughs> if you missed that in season one. Oh, I love it. I love cheese. <laughs> I knew you would like it. Don't say I don't give you nothing, honey. <laughs> oh, well... Let's talk about what's coming, what's exciting and new to look forward to. Absolutely. Let's do that. 
what is coming? <laughs> we, well, obviously you guys have heard of Baby BNS because we've already put out uh, Baby volume BS. one. Oh, yes. We don't even know our own product. <laughs> Sorry, we've been bouncing back and forth on that for a while before releasing, and I just forgot which one we actually <laughs> finalized. But we brought up a, well, Buffy brought up a good point that it was originally going to be B, 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 Baby BNS, and then Buffy was like, it sounds like Baby Penis. Like, if you say it really fast, yeah, it's Baby BNS. Baby BS. Baby BS. Volume 1, what we've already released. We hope you enjoyed. Mm-hmm. We are going to try and do those once a month, hopefully. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not really giving ourselves like a, you know, they're kind of just going to be little surprises that we drop whenever mm-hmm. they like, happen. Like we're the stalks and we're carrying the little baby BS exactly. through the sweet village yeah. of and Vancouver. Every little while, we just drop one down yeah. to, into your lap and loving home. And they'll be a lot shorter next time. That was a really good opening one. We had got very excited. But uh, yeah. there's going to be more and they're going to be shorter and you can just laugh along with us. Exactly. We hope. Um, additionally, we've got something very exciting happening. Hell yeah, we do. We're starting a new little project. We're going to call it Trailer Talk. Yep. And um, why don't you tell Why don't you tell oh. what that entails? Look at us intertwining our stories oh. as one. Like a we couple. are one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we have Trailer Talk, and that's obviously not going to be taking over our main... Um, we have our main episodes, what you'll be hearing today and the following, mm-hmm. um, what we did in season one. But yeah, like Baby BS, that's a little spin-off, and Trailer Talk too. And again, it's going to be around one a month, and we're going to be interviewing an artist. Mm-hmm. And we're so excited for this, because we have... It's a going to be so fun. Absolute plethora of beautiful, creative humans in our life that i'm very fortunate for yes so many talented people to talk to and some of them want to join us yeah and it's going to be really fun because it'll give you guys a chance to hear from artists that have worked on some really amazing projects and have some really amazing stories and insights and And just their outlook yeah just like what it is to be an artist on a film set and, yeah. and just what makeup means to you and mm-hmm. everyone just different opinions a different voice a different brain for right? you yeah. <laughs> so but we think it'll be really fun we're yeah. excited trailer talk we're excited so that will hopefully be coming to you soon it will be one more important thing we should probably say our main episodes because we're doing a little extra spicy stuff we are gonna drop our main episodes down to twice a month going but forward doesn't sound that much but friends let us assure you it's only every other week really it's every other week and yeah. we think that this will give us a chance to keep our episodes really well informed it'll give us a chance to do the other stuff for you just gets you guys more stuff we want our content to be filled of great fucking knowledge exactly and it turns out working in film 50 plus hours a week whilst also running a podcast weekly is really a bit of a challenge really quite difficult bit of a challenge for us yeah and that's okay and that's where we are and we're still thriving we've got all these new little spin-off things and we it just means that like we're we're still we're still around we're still doing the thing baby we haven't given up (laughs) we're doing the thing but we just want our we just want our content to be a lot more filled yeah i think we kind of decided do we want quality or quantity and we opted for quality hell yeah we did so we hope you like Mm-hmm. this is when you guys will write in and you're like fucking hell season two is a piece of shit never coming back oh god <laughs> and about the main episode we'll be releasing this on like social media platforms if you've heard of those and <laughs> if you're a part of 2021 or have yeah. been a part of the world for the last 10 years then you would <laughs> you might have heard of a little might be familiar with that instagram facebook whatever and um they're going to be released on the second or fourth week of every month. Yes. So, mark your calendars. Yes. 
A lot more information, though, so please keep an eye out, keep an ear out. Um, it's going to be a good time. Another exciting thing on that note of social media, we're going to be doing a genre raffle for our episodes going forward so that we're just going to try and, like, kind of group our films together so they're a bit more cohesive, I guess. Yeah. I think um, that's an yeah. excellent explanation of what we want to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're going to be picking two films from the same genre. And or category. We basically came up with all these categories. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, that's what we're going to do. And we're going to do a little, like... We have an app. We're just going to generate the genre. (laughs) We're very professional. And you're going to hear it at the end of this episode, so you better fucking stick around. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, this is is our way of curbing the drop-off of Ruby's (laughs) listeners. (laughs) This is how we're going to... Stay tuned, because you'll have a sneak peek at next week's episode. (laughs) And then we'll be releasing it on social media, so you can, you know, be like... You can miss it on the podcast. Yeah, because, you know, you dropped off, but... uh, (laughs) Inevitably. (laughs) You can be like, oh, sick, yeah, fucking horrors next week time. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I think that covers pretty much all of our new and exciting fun things happening. Yeah, I think that is, I think that's us good. And of course, if you have any questions about this, you know where we're at, you know our information, and we'll be releasing it again at the end of the sip. (laughs) Stringing that line out. (laughs) Keeping you around this time, baby. (laughs) That sounds very threatful. Should we talk about what this opening episode is going to be about? This is a film we have wanted to do for a very long time. It's just, it's a big one, and we wanted to kind of make it special, so we thought, what better way to kick off season two than to do this monster of a makeup film? Hell yeah. It has special ties to us, being that it was filmed in Vancouver. Yep, the majority of it. Mm -hmm. And we know a lot of humans that participated in the creation. We're going to talk about Star Trek Beyond. Hell fucking yeah. It's a big one. Did your pants drop? Yeah, and we're actually both beat. We both will be doing Star Trek Beyond today. Yeah, we're just, it's such a big film. There's so many really amazing makeups, so much to talk about and to dig in. So we just were like, you know what, let's just do it together and change it up a little bit. So it might be a bit of a longer app, but I really hope you enjoy and I hope it informs you in all the right ways Mm because this was a, it's a fucking doozy. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but very interesting and very fun. Yeah, it was fun to research. I loved it. Yeah. I felt extremely inspired. Yeah, same. After that, I was like, oh, yeah, makeup. Oh, oh. Yeah, I got, like, freaking pumped. And, of course, like, just a... Shall I just begin? Should we just go Let's just it? jump right Let's, into I'll, this. I'm Let's just, just dive into the fucking 9,000 pages of research we've come up with. <laughs> <laughs> our small book. <laughs> Welcome to our dissertation. Um, <laughs> Podcast? No, TED Talk. <laughs> yeah, like, as... I'm sure any listener is aware there is an absolute dictionary of media in every unimaginable form that has come from this wonder of a world that has been built by the creator Gene Roddenberry. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. insane the amount of like time people have spent into organizing just, like the alien species, just the franchise storylines, just the franchise itself. Yeah. Like, what a, I'm going to use the word for the second time, a plethora of media. Just, like, exceptional amounts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a thing, all right. I think it might be plethora. Oh, oh my God, that's so funny. Really? I just want to... Plethora. I just want to tell you now, just to, you know. The second time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the first time I felt bad, but then the second time I was like, 
Just in case okay. she's plethora. <laughs> oh, damn. I've been using that word like all fucking week. It's not your fault. That's a like, really hard word. Oh, plethora, what an amazing word. Like, I'm totally going to use that. But obviously, because I'm I just was looking at like, oh, plethora. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's okay. I used to call for the longest time Pinterest. I thought it was Pinterest. Interesting. I okay, didn't understand that, that, that it was, was like pin and interest. I. Do you know President Trump's been also banned from Pinterest? Pinterest, whatever you want to call it. What I also love, like, he's probably trying to log on, like, God damn it, my kitchen inspo is fucking gone. It. Oh, how am I supposed to build my house? <laughs> what a fucking moron. Um, uh, well, yeah. let's just keep that little edit in there so the world doesn't think I'm an idiot with the first time I said it. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, so the chain of the franchise that we'll be focusing on is the 2016 mm-hmm. film Star Trek Beyond. Mm-hmm. The release date was July 22nd, 2016 in Canada, in time for the franchise's 50th anniversary celebrations. Mm-hmm. That's a big note. Keep track of that in your heads. Yes. That's a, comes back. Yes. And the budget was $185 million. Holy shit. Literally. But the box office made $343.5 million. Jesus. So they did all right. That's a lot of money. Yeah, you know, it's a small wage. It's a small wage for a gal. <laughs> and our director was Justin Lin. The only film of this series, like, because obviously uh, Star Trek Beyond is the third film in this, like, trilogy. With these people, right. With, with yeah. this cast and in this timeline where they are in space. Mm-hmm. Um, and Justin Lin was this, he, it was the only film he directed of the trilogy um, because the rest was directed by sweet baby J.J. Abrams. Yes. But he also produced them all. There was also a very extensive cast list, as I'm sure we all know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was. A lot of good people. Hell yeah. A lot of big makeups and all their main people, too. Like, not very many human people. Absolutely. Or, like, you know, a lot of just big makeup characters. We hope you're, f- we hope you're fucking pumped for Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into it. Yeah. I think so. Um, And also, like... <laughs> We've already talked about Star Trek very briefly. And we did in our el- episode three. Yeah, when I talk about Melina Torres. But this is going to be more extensive. Abs- yeah. <laughs> I'll just say absolutely one more time. Absolutely. Toss it in there. Yeah, let's do it. Um, Why don't you tell me a little bit about the history of Star Trek? Why you, don't you? You want me to keep talking? I would love to hear. I can tell you the film plot if you like. <laughs> Stop. (laughs) (laughs) So, basically, in the Star Trek Beyond, it is a surprise attack in outer space forces. The Enterprise crash land on a mysterious world. The assault came from Kral, played by Edris Ilba, a Mm -hmm. dictator who derives his energy by sucking the life out of his victims. What a bastard. (laughs) Kral needs an ancient and valuable artifact that's abroad the badly damaged starship, left stranded in a rugged wilderness. Kirk... Chris Pine, Spock, Zachary Quinto, and the rest of the crew must now battle a deadly alien race while trying to find a way off their hostile planet. Hi, yeah. Hi, we love a Captain Kirk, though. Oh yeah, we do. You're the Spock to my Captain Kirk. I consider myself Captain Kirk. That's a bit and of I'm a Spock. Small flex. I'm not as intelligent as Spock. <laughs> He'd definitely know how to pronounce plethora. <laughs> yeah, but plethora. Yeah, you're probably right. And Captain Kirk would know how to pronounce Pinterest. Mm. That's sad for us. Speaking of dynamic duos that I we remind me of. Yeah. Um, has anyone watched The Righteous Gemstones? Uh, if you haven't, do it. Do it's it right now. Such like, a turn off the show. podcast and listen to it. Don't go watch it. It's hilarious. <laughs> but Keith and 
Adam Devine. Adam Devine. Yeah. Is that me and you? Absolutely. We were actually brainstorming other dynamic duos that we would resemble. We should post this on Instagram. We probably should. We actually have many. Gus Gus and the other little mouse (laughs) from Cinderella. (laughs) Who's Gus Gus though? Me. Oh. (laughs) I saw myself as Gus Gus. Really? I think everyone loves Gus Gus though. He's so cute. He's just the cutest. Also Yzma and Kronk. Yes. Yep. Are you going to say you're Kronk again? I don't know. I feel like I actually would be Yzma. Oh, okay. Just cranky and old. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> disgusting, battering eyelashes. I'm okay being Kronk. I love squirrels. Yeah, there we go. So, I hope you get those references. And, oh, definitely Dwight and Michael. That's another one. Big Dwight and Michael. Mm-hmm. Big Dwight and Michael energy. I think I'm, like, Dwight. Yeah, <laughs> I'm more Michael. Michael. I, I would actually prefer to be my Dwight over Dwight and Michael. So, I, I don't worry. I know where I stand in that. We should post that. Uh, we should. Yeah. Back to the episode. So yeah, that was the uh, little plot line I just gave. And then also the Beyond movie is set in the Kelvin timeline. So for all our big Star Trek fans or people that maybe haven't seen a lot of Star Trek and just mm-hmm. want to know what the Kelvin timeline is, what is the Kelvin timeline? Well, Ruby, the Kelvin timeline is an <laughs> alternative quantum universe created when the Rom- Romulan... Nero traveled to 2233 and destroyed the Federation starship USS Kelvin. The subsequent history and development of this timeline is significantly different from those in the Prime Universe. Mm -hmm. Take that as you will. Whatever that means to you. That was a hard sentence for me with a lot of big words. (laughs) And yes, that's where we are in this trilogy. There you go. Of the many trilogies and like series and yeah lifeless being formed from gene's brain mm-hmm. <sighs> well there we are should we talk about joe harlow do you want to talk about joe harlow let me talk about him okay enter our makeup designer joe harlow here he is one of many yes yes on that note there are so many makeup artists that worked on this film when you go to the imdb page and you look at the makeup department there's like freaking like 30 makeup artists and, and that's, that's that's not even all of them that's no, no, no. just the ones that are either credited or have put their credit into imdb yeah so there's a lot of people that worked on this movie yeah and there's also like when you work on the movie when you work on films and tv sets like you'll sign you'll do all your paperwork and it's at producer's discretion mm-hmm. if they want to include you in the credit so there's normally like a whole other army of humans that maybe weren't mentioned mm-hmm. we don't know but there's it's an extensive list. But um, on that note, a lot of the artists are from Vancouver, and they're Vancouver yep. artists. And we just want to say a huge shout-out to the amazing, talented Vancouver makeup artist team that lended their efforts and their talents to this film because you all did a beautiful job, and we were gobsmacked at all of these makeups. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that. Yeah. Um, it's really amazing mm-hmm. living in a city of just such like knowledgeable fantastically creative artists yeah it's super inspiring to like Definitely. recognize more than 10 names on the cast right list. it's kind the of cast list. The, <laughs> the crew list yeah like when we were looking through the makeups we saw a few people like, that oh, we no know way. and them and them yeah like what an absolute wonder yeah so this was just us saying we have beautiful work on everyone's part yeah Let's talk about Joe Harlow, though, a little bit. you go for it. Joe Harlow is our head of department makeup designer. He obviously collaborated with a lot of designers on this film. They all kind of, like, you know, he he really makes it clear in a lot of interviews that it was a team effort and that it was a team designing a lot of these aliens. Yeah. But he's, like, the the boss. Really amazing makeup artist. 
Originally from Grand Forks, North Dakota, mm. in America, he found a passion for creating monsters after watching the 1933 King Kong movie. And that just, he really loved the monster. He really loved all the effects in it. He was like, this is a really cool... This is my jam. This is my, I'm into this. He, but he credits his specific love for makeup from John Carpenter's 1982 movie, The Thing. Nice. Which, if you've ever seen that movie, a wild film. Fuck me. <laughs> the little head, like, with his, like, little it's... tarantula legs. Yeah, that's, like, a big one for makeup artists. I feel like a lot of makeup mm. artists feel, like, are like, I, that's when I was like, wow, that's a cool job. And some of the, like, classic aliens as well. There's, like, a mm-hmm. whole uh, dictionary of those kind of period films now that really sparked interest for some great makeup artists. Yeah, definitely. Um, so after Harlow graduated high school, he moved to New York City, where he attended the School of Visual Arts, specializing in animation. At the time that he was doing this, there wasn't a lot of makeup schools like there are now. There wasn't, like, an easy pathway to become a makeup artist. It was kind of, you kind of had to do the job to learn the job. So he decided on animation, and, um, eventually was like, no, I'm gonna find a way to do makeup. I'm just gonna jump in. So he moves to L.A., he um, finish, finishes his program, then he moves to L.A. And then once he gets to L.A., he starts working at a few makeup effect shops around L.A., finally setting, settling on Steve Johnson's FFX, Inc. He worked there for eight years. And I went to Steve Johnson's FFX page just to see, like, some ones that you might recognize. 1994, Stephen King's miniseries, The Sand, came out of the there. The Stand? The Stand. Oh, he said The Sand. <laughs> Like, yes, very terrifying film. <laughs> um, 1997's The Shining. <laughs> Fun. Awesome. It's 19- a small movie, you might have heard of it. Yeah, you might have heard of that one, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Kubrick. Uh, 1989, The Abyss. Mm-hmm. So just some cool films that came out of that effect shop. After leaving Steve Johnson's effect shop, though, he pursued more of a set-focused career. Uh, he ended up working on films like How the Grinch Stole Christmas. He did. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. He was there for that one. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, where he worked under V. Neal. Wow. Who we definitely will talk about, another really amazing artist. Yeah. I um, we've mentioned her before in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And actually, fun note about Pirates of the Caribbean, he became the head of department in 2011 for the Stranger Tides movie of that franchise. Full circle. Yeah. Full circle moment, for sure. In 2010, he won an Academy Award for Star Trek. Not Star Trek Beyond. No. Nope. We'll, we'll get to that. The Star Trek, which is like a part of the same trilogy. Mm-hmm. Different film, though. Um, he shared that with Mindy Hall and Barney Burnman. And that yes. was actually Star Trek's first ever Academy Award, which was really exciting. Really? Mm-hmm. That is a good fucking fact. Yeah. Yeah. That is shocking. I know. Wow. I know. So that's, that's that's a little bit about who he is. That's Joel. How he came to find Star Trek Beyond. Yeah. Now in our story of Joe Harlow, he's on Star Trek Beyond. Yeah. He's designing the film. How did he do that, you might be asking. Well, let's I talk, talk about, about the it. the history of makeup artists? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we plan these episodes. We really we, do try. We do. We, we, we talk on the phone. We come up with a syllabus. Uh, come to the day, throw it out the window. Just yeah. totally wing it. Honestly, forget about it. <laughs> so that was obviously about Joel Harlow. And we are going to dive more into, obviously, the film and how he... We're going to talk a lot more about him. I'm just going to touch on the history of makeup artists before we do that. Because, obviously, Star Trek being the franchise that it is and being 50-plus years old now... Many makeup artists have spent their time on this franchise. Absolutely. And so one of the amazing makeup artists 
a leading makeup artist that's name kept appearing whenever I'd be like researching the history was of course Michael George Westmore. Yes, for sure. He was the one who worked on Belina Torres' character. Yes. yes, yes. So before jumping into Michael Westmore exclusively, I just wanted to give a small introduction for those who don't know why the dynasty of the Westmore do you don't know the dynasty of the Westmores. Yeah, big makeup name, mm-hmm. Westmore. Yeah. So here's a little about them. The Westmore family is a prominent family in Hollywood makeup, uh, led by George Westmore. Uh, The family has had four generations serve Hollywood as makeup artists, and George Westmore was, like, the dad and the father and kind of, like, gave the way in his whole family and generations after. Literally, his sons, like, I think one of his daughters, their sons and daughters, aunts and uncles have all passed through the makeup department. Uh, since George's establishment in Hollywood's first makeup department in 1917. So they're wow. like... Yeah. Been around. They've been around. They've been around 100 plus years, the Westmore. George, so Michael George Westmore, related to George Westmore, hence his middle name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Michael, he was hired in... I'm doing this a lot with my hand. Mm-hmm. Like I'm serving like a drink like, hello boys, <laughs> can I get you a bourbon? <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> I thought you were being the emoji. Like, they're like, I don't know what life is. You know, the one with the little hand? Uh-huh. <laughs> mm. um, Sassy. <laughs> uh, Michael Westmore was hired in 1986 to work on Star Trek The Next Generation and would go to work on all other Star Trek television series to date, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. During his time on the shows, he developed the makeup of several alien races and further developed the makeup used on Klingon characters. Love it. Hear that, Mom? You can thank Michael Westmore. There it is. For your love of the Klingon race. (laughs) One of his first roles was the development of the makeup used on Brent Spinner to create the character Data. He obviously did absolute wonders for the Star Trek. He was with them from 1986 until he left the franchise in 2005. Oh my gosh. Following the cancellation of the Enterprise. Wow. So it was like a huge sign for him to be like, okay, this was, I did my time. I did my like nearly 20 years. That's crazy on one project. Yeah. That experience, Michael Westmore won nine Emmys. Wow. Yeah. Fair enough though. Absolutely fair enough. Also, I want to give credit to the other makeup artists and various departments, um, as there was easily over 500 plus makeup like artists that had previously given their time and creation to the franchise. But here's a few more names from the previous Star Trek films and series that we might not obviously talk about in the Star Trek Beyond, but like previously um, in the Michael Westmore days, these were a few names that came up that lended their hand. So Pat Westmore, Robert Dawn, June Westmore, uh, Gerald Quist, Michael Mills, Thomas E. Suprenant, Scott Wheeler, Suzanne Diaz, Barney Berman, Mindy Hall, David Leroy Anderson, Glenn Hetrick, James McKinnon, to name a few, and that does not include the Star Trek Beyond Makeup Artists. So when talking about Harlow, he of course was supported by an army of talented makeup artists, and without all their brains working with him, this project wouldn't be what it is, and I'm sure that was reflected directly to Michael Westmore as well. It really takes an army. It really does. That's a lot of Westmores, too. Yeah. You're going to hear a lot of us um, just basically giving (laughs) honor and just making it recognizable that even though we're talking about a department head, really fully supported by everyone involved. So there's going to be a lot of us praising makeup as a team and not just being like, the designer, the designer, because yeah, like they're the leading person for 
the film and that's their name and head of department spot and that's absolutely fantastic and they've worked their asses off to be in that spot. It takes an army. Yeah. I think that's what we just want to get across. Yeah. We're making that point. We're really driving that point home. We really are. So, on that note, let's go Let's go back and talk about Makeup Beyond and Harlow's creations. <laughs> yes. Okay. Going back are. to Beyond. On the note of Harlow working as a team, um, I found that he designed a lot with Richard Alfonso. Cool. They started designing right away together. So upon completion, they designed a total of 56 new alien species that had never been seen before in the Star Trek franchise. So uh, kind of a fun note on those 56 species. species. <laughs> they decided they wanted to do 50 because it was Star Trek's 50th anniversary. Yeah. And then ended up finding out that they needed six more. Just, for just as like the script developed and yeah, they, new scenes got added. So altogether, they designed 56. That's not like 56 makeups. That's like 56 new, never-before-seen types of aliens. Yeah, like huge prosthetic work over the head. Yeah. Like insane. Like that number to like be able to produce that in your mental creative mind is wild. Although I saw, I read an interview and someone asked like, did you go into the film thinking you were going to produce 50? And he said it kind of happened on accident. Like they were just making aliens as they needed. Yeah. And then one day his wife, who also works with him in the department. Cindy Harlow. Yes. She counted up how many aliens they'd done and they were already at 46. And then Harlow was like, well... Fuck it, let's just make it 50 for the 50th anniversary. Makes sense. That's just how it happened, but... It would be extremely daunting to be, like, if a uh, film came to you or producers yeah, or Yeah, like, this is what we want. That would be so petrifying. Mm-hmm. So I feel like to have that organic creation... The, yeah, exactly. It made, a made it a lot more manageable, probably. Yeah, but still, that's insane. It's an, an amazing number. It's, like, huge. Yeah. So when they started this design process, they really wanted to focus their attention on looking at nature for inspiration... From plants, ocean life, mammals, microorganisms, they looked at hundreds of pictures and hundreds of reference photos and kind of pulled different designs. Harlow said before that he's a really big believer in finding um, inspiration in nature and the makeups he's done. You really see that like aquatic creature focus. Absolutely. I've... I like read something as well that he's very adoring of the colors and the bioluminescence that the creatures of the sea give him. And like so... And he described, like, the ocean as an alien world. And there's so much to pull from. And I think it's so represented in his makeup, in his sculpting style and in his creation. Yeah, I agree. And the cool thing with Star Trek Beyond is because the Federation fleet had never traveled, in, like, the scheme of the story, they've never traveled this far into space before. So it really gave him a lot of creative reign on, like, what kind of aliens would live in this area of space that the federation's never seen before yeah instead of just being on like the vulcan exactly exactly like i said this aquatic inspo you can really see it in a lot of designs specifically i find we see it in natalia's character who's played by ashley edner ruby would you like to talk about natalia i can totally talk about natalia i love it Tell me about her. You would have seen this makeup. If you've ever looked at Star Trek Beyond online, this makeup would come up. This is a big one for him. Yeah, this is probably like, if he was ever, I mean, not that he'd need to present his portfolio work (laughs) to someone, I'd hope that that would be front page. Mm -hmm. It is a stunning creature makeup whose head looks like a giant... Like seashell, basically, right? Seashell. I've had... I was like, is that how you say her name? I've been saying Nat- <laughs> Natalia. Would like, <laughs> <laughs> you like my Google Translate? <laughs> yeah, so this is a stunning creature makeup whose head looks like a giant nautilus. 
uh, which is a seashell yeah technically it's a fancy word for a little curly fun seashell like kind of like a conch yeah like buffy just mentioned played by ashley edna who is harlow's stepdaughter it deserves a spot in the louvre Mm -hmm. in my eyes like it's fucking incredible like i cannot fathom like it's so beautiful and so big i think an also cool thing to note here is that she doesn't have a big role no i don't even think she has very many lines like i'm pretty sure the only time we really see her in the film is near the end and she's sharing a drink with one of the characters yeah but that was just that's something that harlow really wanted was that he wanted all of the aliens to be developed enough where they could be given their own story and they're fully realized. He didn't want any background characters in this film. He wanted yes. every alien to have a full storyline in themselves. Yeah, like he didn't make pieces better than others. They were all like perfect. Top of the line, yeah. Perfect for camera if any of them were like, they were all hero pieces. Yeah. Yeah, what well, just is, you know, another description on his work ethic and his outlook on makeup. Definitely, and storytelling. So, as you were just saying, we only really see Natalia in that, like, it's a, like, a ball kind of scene, and she's mm-hmm. wearing, like, a little spaghetti dress. Mm-hmm. She's talking to one of the crew members. I just had to Google his name, but Anton Yelkin, he was, unfortunately, the young actor that died before the film was released. And I, I want to give him a hug. <laughs> just for really <laughs> empathetic for people that have passed. Yeah. So young as well. Back to, back to Natalia. <laughs> So the makeup application took seven hours to complete and could happen... <gasps> yeah, I know. Let me just skip over that. Uh, makeup application only took seven hours to complete and could only happen after hundreds of hours logged engineering a practical support system for the creature's head. Yeah, so if by any chance you haven't seen this makeup, she has makeup all over her arms, her chest, her hands, She's her covered. face. It's unrecognizable. But what really makes it amazing is she has this huge piece basically. The seashell. Yes, that's attached to the back of her head. The so snotula. it totally changes the shape of her head. It's huge. And so I imagine, yeah, the engineering behind, like, how are we going to get this thing to, like, stand up and to, like, stay and not <laughs> slide off? And also they were using silicone. And silicone Which is heavy. can get incredibly heavy. Yeah. So they, they really had to... Lot, Use yeah. a lot of brain power to figure out how to do this. A lot of math went into that makeup. <laughs> and what I really love is that, like, Hollow's designs, like, creates these unimaginable characters to begin with. But then just what goes into making that is never like, oh, this is impossible. It's never going to happen. He's like, no, let, we're going to figure it out. There's a way. There's so, a way and we'll find it. And I'm going to make what's in my head come real. Yeah. No matter how extraordinary and large and to scale that may be. Yeah, which is, I think, why he's one of the perfect designers to work on a film like Star Trek, where everything it. Where everything is so crazy. And it can be. You know what I mean? Yeah, you really get that freedom. Yeah. So, as we were talking about, the size of this character's head is so fucking large. <laughs> it's so much exposed anatomy. Yeah, because she's wearing her little baby dress. Yeah, like we just mentioned. Shoulders, back, it's all hanging out. Yeah, it's a very cute dress, too. It is cute. She's she's a cute alien. So, it was a tremendous undertaking. They had to problem-solve the weight issues of this head being that big and having all that detail and that mm-hmm. needed beautiful creation on the back of her skull yeah and they still obviously wanted the actress to be able to perform through the makeup and you know not be like carried on because the weight of the (laughs) like big old shell on the back of her head was so yeah i mean i guess they didn't want her to you know like babies look when they're first like they haven't got like fully neck muscles yet and their heads are so heavy that they're like "Eh." yeah but they didn't want her looking like that yeah that's actually a great description of what could have happened (laughs) how it could have gone the other way (laughs) yeah but obviously it's harlow and his team and that didn't happen at all and they knew how to prevent that yeah they did and the answer came 
courtesy of mold shop supervisor Gil Liberto, who had worked with Harlow on Pirates of the Caribbean franchise and figured out a way to cast the shell out of a featherweight plastic that was incredibly durable. Amazingly, the facial prosthetics ended up being heavier than the head itself. Wow. Yes. So, good old Gil. What a problem solver, Gil. Nailed it. Yep. That's why they keep you around. Among other things, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like a very talented person. (laughs) We're just like, please, love us. (laughs) So, if they didn't have the support of production and director Justin Lin, the character probably wouldn't have... It probably would have been the first character that they would have had to scrap or just fall by the wayside. And also because it is just such this magnificent, expensive makeup, I think Harlow was correct that like he, all his main cast are beautiful. They're fantastic makeups, but to do a seven hour makeup, like multiple times in a week, that's Mm -hmm. not durable for anyone and also like we've talked about before with silicone it's a one-off thing like you can't once you put those makeups on and they come off they're garbage after that you can't save those pieces so for every big makeup like that you're having to make new pieces for every day that they're playing yeah and these like artists are already doing like lengthy applications but Mm -hmm. seven hours every day that's a that's a big undertaking Mm -hmm. but i'm really happy that they were able to have a makeup that large and be featured and shown and Definitely. be able to have the money backing and the creative support to have like a really beautiful amazing kind of like you know featured background really though yes yeah so to add lead technician and artist lenny mcdonald found a source for the iridescent color shifting pigments used to create currencies so so that they could use it on such characters as natalia so I was a little confused by this. So the pigment allows a shift between three different colors and Harlow said that it was absolutely one of the most unusual materials they'd used because it had never been used in makeup before. So they were using like light effects and color shifting pigments and paints mm-hmm. to create like more of that bioluminescence aquatic like style colors. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy again. So creative, so in ingen- ingenuitive. I don't know what the word is there. Mm-hmm. Just very like and we're actually going to talk about that technique with Kral as well. Yeah, yeah, they use that, come up. that thing as well. Yeah. In addition, just by looking at this makeup, you know it would have been very time-consuming. And as we've briefly mentioned it, like, the application I found out apparently started at 12.30 p.m. And then they were on set by 9.30 a.m. with her to shoot an entire day. So I believe... Oh, my it- God. So, like, midnight... And then have her on set in front of the but, camera at 9.30 a.m. Yeah. So she the next day. got changed and then brought to set and there would be like oh an hour or two in there. So, yeah. That's wild. So t- that just shows you like the type of industry film is. Like most people work eight hours. Yeah. Maybe ten hours. That would have been their shift done. That They would have been done. They would have been gone home. Maybe at the gym. She's just getting started. Yeah. They would have probably shot. For like, and that was a big scene too. That was. It was that a would big have, party scene. I wouldn't be surprised if that was like a 15-hour camera day. Easily. Probably multiple. Multiple 15-hour Wow, the hours of sleep lost. <laughs> I also believe a talented artist called Werner Pretorius did the application with Harlow. Hmm. But I think there probably were many people that helped on this application that large. Yeah, I mean, that kind of, that many prosthetics. I feel like there's probably a lot of people helping to pre-paint, helping to mold it. Even helping sculpting sections. Oh, yeah. Harlow, like, probably did the design, and then there was probably 30-plus people that also helped bring this to life. Definitely, yeah. We see you. Your skills are insane. You're talented. We love it all. I hope that when people ask you about your career, you just say, 
Do you know Natalia from Star Trek? <laughs> Star Trek Beyond? If not, listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I hope that is the answer. So absolutely beautiful makeup, and that was a fun one to kick off with, and there will for sure be a photo of her on our Instagram. Or Definitely, if, if you, you haven't seen it. Yes, or if you... You know what? No, I was going to say, if you don't want to look at our Instagram, just Google it. But fucking look at our Instagram, all right? <laughs> um, so we're going to move on to a different character now. Yeah, I'm going to talk about Crawl. You do it. I love Crawl's makeup for a lot of reasons. One, he's played by Idris Elba, and Fine specimen. I love that man. Love the way he talks. Love, oh, just love him. Beautiful voice. I watched so many interviews of him like talking about taking on this role while I was doing my research, and I was just like, oh, I'm mesmerized by your sweet, sweet voice. Yeah. And he's just the way he like carries himself. I'm just like, oh, He's just got one of those like classic British, like beautiful accents. Yeah, he's just like talking. But not like Benedict Cumberbatch British. It's no, like, it's like so soft. He had a good energy going. Exactly. We really did. Let's just begin with the design of Crawl for Idris Elba. Yeah. He's the villain of this film. He is. He's a piece uh, of shit. He's the bad guy. So, for a little context, Crawl is a human, starts out his life as a human, captain of a Starfleet ship. When his ship crashes and lands, the Federation... Kind of Fed- like Cook. Yes. Yeah, li- literally. His ship crash lands, and the Federation assumes that him and his crew were all killed. They can't find them. They stop looking. This really pisses him off. He feels like he was abandoned. And because of this, he goes a little crazy. Kind of starts to hate the Federation for their pursuit of peaceful exploration. So he he goes evil. He turns rogue. It explains the plot line. So he begins using a machine that was on his ship designed to extend the life of its user by taking the life energy from another creature. So Crawl starts to capture creatures um, and take them as prisoners. And then he sucks their life to extend his life. The only thing is, is in doing this, um, he takes on certain traits of the creature that he's sucking the life out of. So, meaning that if he's, because he was human, if he sucks the life out of another alien, he'll take on a part of that alien. So that's why he's his own creation. Exactly. So, thus creating, like, basically a hodgepodge of different species. Like Frankenstein. Exactly. He's got, like, if you look at his character... Um, which will again we'll definitely have pictures on our Instagram of him he's got lots of different like little elements and throughout the film he changes his makeup changes because he's taking he's still taking the lives of aliens as the film goes on yeah so each time you see him he kind of looks a little different he's the same but like little tiny he's not like mistake no no but there's like little subtle changes that happen throughout the film which is kind of cool I like that that's a good detail um So a challenge for them when creating this character was they wanted him to look really unique and villainous and be scary. They still wanted him to have certain, like, Star Trek alien qualities to blend into his storyline and to add to his backstory. So on top of all that, Krull had to have several stages throughout the film, as I mentioned. So it kind of became a challenge of, like, how do we take our own traits of aliens we're designing? How do we take aliens that have already been designed? That's why you see a little bit of Klingon in Krull. Because he would have absorbed some Klingons in his day mm. while still keeping him. You know, he has some humanoid features still because he was originally human. Yeah, and he's definitely outlived a human life. Definitely, yes. Isn't he like 400 years old? Yeah, because yeah. he's been like continuously sucking the life of other aliens, giving him more years. He's like a Death Eater of space. Exactly. Bad guy. So. It's like the 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, imagine Jennifer Coolidge doing the narration of Star Trek. <laughs> Oh, crawl. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, he's eating them like a hot dog. Oh, God. Not again, crawl. Crawl. I'm taking the dog, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> he's taking his life. 
So, um, <laughs> because he... <laughs> Crawl! Sorry. <laughs> Cronk! <laughs> Isma. <laughs> Complete different film. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, back to our <laughs> regular scheduled programming. That bit just reminded me of that time this guy I work with was like from a different department. He was like walking up the stairs one day and I was just like following suit. Oh yeah, hi, tangent. But um, and he was like, hey, hey, I listen to your podcast. And I was like, oh, thanks. That's, that's really kind. Like, thanks so much. I appreciate it. He was like, yeah, you guys like, you guys laugh a lot. And I was like. Thank you. Is that good? <laughs> Is that a good thing? Or like, thing? in the back of like crisps, like, yeah. <laughs> Are you guys friends? And I was like, yeah, yeah, we're pretty good friends. <laughs> I was like, anyway, I'll... no, all the laughs are actually fake on my part. But oh god, Jesus! All right, take your fucking curl notes and piss off. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, sorry, mate. Um, yeah. Okay, where am I? <laughs> So because he's absorbing these beyond aliens on top of his other Star Trek aliens, we see a lot of the aquatic qualities Harlow and his team drew on. One creature that they really tried to incorporate into Crawl specifically was is called the, I'm going to try and say this right, I don't know if I will, the Gila Monster, which is a type of venomous lizard native to the southwestern U.S. and then northwest Mexico. And I googled them. They look really cool. They've got this cool little kind of splotchy pattern that was like their main thing that they worked on oh nice that mm-hmm. was their main inspo that was their main inspo for him um the team also as we talked about before with natalia's makeup they used light effects to show his transformation every time he took another character's life energy so in, to do this they embedded tracing lights and fiber optics into the character's head so mm-hmm. then every time he sucked another character's energy we saw him kind of like the action of absorbing that energy was shown on screen through these light effects which is really, really cool. That's fucking awesome. It's like taking makeup to like a whole other engineering standpoint. And it really makes it cool because we just love practical effects. We do. So, and I'm so happy that Star Trek has so many practical it effects. It does. It's Can crazy. You imagine if it was CG? Yeah, it's awesome. Like he had contacts, he had teeth, he had the makeup, he had the lights. And that's it was like just all practical. Another thing that I've actually written in my notes too is that all of these characters are all covered in these mind-blowing prosthetics that blend beautifully together, Mm -hmm. combined with all the pre-painting and then additional application painting. And I just appreciate that they take it, like, right to the eye line. Oh, And they have different lashes for them and then different contacts. Like, everything. They are fully, truly unrecognizable. Yeah. And I just, like, that, for me, is, like, another thing that, like, was additional to, like, Crawl's design and Mm -hmm. having those light effects and, like, yeah, I don't know. Just it's, the engineering. Yeah, it's really cool. You'll see pictures. There's pictures of him, like, the um, details behind the scenes. So when he's not on camera and he's just sitting in this chair and he looks fully like Crawl. Like, it might as well have been a scene from the movie because he's in his full costume. He's in his full makeup. Everything is completed. Like, nothing is not practical, which is, I just think that's really cool. Um, so, I'm, all of them are so impressive. Yeah, honestly. This is just a love letter for Joel Hollow <laughs> yeah, and every much. other artist. <laughs> pretty much. Um, so, Albert would go through makeup tests for each stage of crawl, from more humanoid to more alien, and this was done not only to test how the look would look on camera and um, 
how the application process would go on the day, but also so that Idris Elba could test his facial mobility in each makeup. And he had told Joe Harlow, he was like, I want to be all in. Like, you do what you have to do and we'll make it all make it work kind of thing. Good team player. Which Harlow says, like, is a huge reason that they were able to do so many cool things with Carl's makeup was because Idris Elba was so encouraging and he was just like yeah go full out like I want this to be like a badass alien so yeah so that was kind of cool so altogether, they were able to get Elba's, Elba's makeup down to around two hours each day, oh my which God. is relatively quick considering how many prosthetics he would wear each day. That is insanely fast. I know. I was really impressed by that. Obviously, they were doing a lot of pre-painting on his pieces and stuff, which helped, of course, but still, two hours for how much makeup this character has is insane. That's like a very, very quick time. Yeah, that just they're... to like stick down prosthetics and paint them, let alone like the fine tuning details of yeah. your edges being perfect and just, you know, where the prosthetic ends carrying the paint through and like around the eyes and then putting mm-hmm. contacts in. It's, yeah, it's, Im- it's impressive. That's an impressive time to and be. And hands and everything. Yeah. And on top of that, he wore contacts, like I said. He had a dental prosthetic that would go in to change his teeth to like complete the look. So he was a big makeup. I thought he was a cool guy. I wanted to talk about him. I like that. Yeah. You want to talk about Jayla? Yeah, so I'm now going to take it away. Thanks, Buffy, for crawl. <laughs> um, on Jayla. Hope you're still with us, guys. This is the last character, and it was really hard, actually, just to pick, like... Yeah, we... We did three characters, and, like, Natalia's kind of, like, you know, not even a... F- she's a character, but not, like, an extensive... She's not in the film extensively. She doesn't have, like, a storyline in no, this film. but we just really wanted to, like, just add a little bit about her, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jayla, the character, I... Uh, if you know what we're talking about, she's the very pale white, grayish skin, platinum blonde hair, and the symmetrical black line design all over her face. Completely badass, played by Sophia Butella. Jayla is a type of alien who has not appeared in any other Star Trek, Star Trek property before. Mm-hmm. So feeding into, like, one of the 56 that were created. Um, so this makeup was led by many people, and artist Richie Alonso had plenty to do with that creation. This is a painstakingly precise makeup yeah it's funny because she's definitely more of a humanoid alien than a lot of the other aliens but i feel like she'd actually be harder to do because of how symmetrical and how even you'd have to make her makeup yes because she's got the two black lines that they need to be the exact same and equal every single day yep i feel like she would actually be more of a challenging makeup than some of the other ones sometimes it's not like the large messy makeups like yeah sometimes you can you know, and I'm not disrespecting any makeup, they're all beautiful in any way, but say if you're doing, for example, a zombie makeup, mm-hmm. and it's a quick, back, like, zombie makeup with a few, you know, there's going to be some cool prosthetics in there, throw a load of blood on, all the splattering, the dirt, like, whatever you've got going on. Honestly, this is so design dependent. That's really fun and messy. And if you're not copying and continuity, you can just fucking go yeah, for it. Yeah, and it kind of gives you, like, that freedom to, like, it doesn't have to look perfect because you want it to kind of be messy and dirty. Exactly. So... But then the makeup that is symmetrical and even and even and just has to be so fucking shit hot precise. Yeah. That for me is far more yeah. uh nerve wracking than yeah. doing like a zombie and messy like, creature to, makeup. And then on top of that, because she's a main character and the film kind of follows her storyline, she's got a big storyline in this film. Yeah. She's in a lot. So you're having to do that makeup multiple days. And you can't have it looking different one day than the next because that will be... It'll be so noticeable. Right? So you have to make sure that you know exactly where you're doing everything. It's just... It would take a lot of patience, I think, to nail that makeup. Yeah. And that's what Richie Alonzo really 
describes mm-hmm. in doing this makeup. Um, so to begin, Jayla originally had a different hair color and had braids as well. But her facial structure and black line work was kind of there from the beginning. But she was originally flesh tones, so they started off with that and her design evolved from there. So she went from a brunette with braids to a blonde with the hairstyle we see her in. Also, during this development, her hair, her sorry, her skin became lighter in tone and eventually appeared gray, grayish off white. Mm-hmm. But because of this skin color change, it made Jayla's hair appear more yellow, which apparently is common when you start lightening a skin tone with blonde hair in contrast next to each other. Mm. So that's why we see her with that platinum hair, like white hair, to avoid that coloration from appearing yellowish on camera. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So in terms of bleaching and trying to make human hair whiter, you can bleach it to a certain point and then it's hard to, you know, go further with it. I'm no hair color expert here, but just like from my research, they, after we're dyeing it, they still had this yellow tinge there because bleaching is such like a chemical process that... Yeah, and I mean like her hair would still be growing, so you'd have to be like doing touch-ups oh, regularly. Wait, was it not a wig? Honey, it's a wig. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like... Wait, <laughs> did they dye her hair, like, consistently <laughs> platinum? That poor woman. Yeah, no, that's like, not, we're okay. not Draco Malfoy here. Nice. We're not Mila Jojovic from The Fifth Element. Like. <laughs> nice. We're not Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. No, we're We're all... using wigs. Yeah, nice. we're using wigs, but just the, like, natural hair of the wig. Right. Was so hard. There was still that yellowish, like, yellowish tint they were getting. And because of her skin being so white, it was just really amplifying it and reading so strangely. So, their resident wig maker at the shop, Kahan Trace, suggested bringing, bringing in some platinum white blonde synthetic hair. So it ended up being completely custom made, of course, with a combination of bleached natural and white synthetic hair. So she was taking, Interesting. like, wizard like a white. mix. Wizard yeah. white. <laughs> <laughs> ah, let me open my palette or wizard white. Wow. But yeah, like she was, she had the hair is made of a combination of synthetic wow. and natural. Interesting. And so they wouldn't have been able to use heat on it or anything. No. Interesting. No. And it's obviously hand tied and mm-hmm. then styled. Overall, I think the skin coloration, it blends nicely with the hair color, tying it together and providing this organic look with her like mottled gray yeah, white skin. I was just going to say like. Leading into this platinum blonde low pony with those like little texture bumps she has yeah wave and her like black her makeup like pulls into that as well so yeah. it just kind of looks like that would be the color of her hair and it's so strange that she began with brunette hair yeah i was just gonna say like given how unnatural looking she is like unhuman she is, i mean she's human but not she's not human but she has human features yeah she looks also very natural at the same time like i feel like they did a really good job at taking this alien and figuring out how this alien would look just living her life and just living a life just being a cool badass fighter just jayla's just living a life <laughs> good old jayla <laughs> love ya she on jayla and crawl <laughs> um so her skin texture has crawl. been <laughs> God. sorry sorry <laughs> um her skin <laughs> jayla jayla <laughs> Her skin texture has been done in many layers, and they... Emma! Oh my god. Sorry. Are you with us? Stay with us, please. I'm getting there. Her skin texture has been done in many layers, and they avoided just painting her face white to avoid the flat clown appearance. Yes, can't have that. Big Uh -uh. no-no. 
she has deafness and she might have had a flat white grayish base and then just loads of splattering and modeling in layers with an airbrushed or a textured brush in a variation of whites and grays yeah. out of all of them because she has like all of all every paint job has layers in mm-hmm. that film but she's got like poor she, texture almost in yeah, her own and alien it is way like grayish white and there are layers there but it's just so great how like it wasn't just a white base, like yeah. And the thing that's is, that's just like, a great painter. That's a great artist. Definitely. If you were to take that same makeup but just paint her white and put the black detail on, completely different. It would look totally different on film. She'd look like a totally different character. Mm-hmm. Probably way less real looking. She would look clowny. I feel like it'd be flat. Yeah, white's a hard color. It is tough. Wizard white. Not <laughs> not your first choice. No. The skin coloration is also brought lightly onto Sophia Butella's lips. And they also added a slight contour, plus her brows were blocked. Mm-hmm. Her f- face, like her face, um, you know her face? Uh, her face. <laughs> Are you familiar? Are you familiar with the face? <laughs> um, was a silicone piece. Um, but before any of this beautiful skin coloration could be painted on, they had to apply this silicone facial piece. The prosthetic ends either side of S- Sophia's nose, from what I could like see by the images, mm. and is across her full forehead and brows going over her cheekbones and blending out to her natural contour, sorry. So half her face is covered in silicone. Wow. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Because she has that, like, her, like... It, her, her, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her bridge of her nose widens and it, like, blocks her brows, giving her a little bit of a heavier brow and just, like, her nose is a different shape slightly. Yeah. From images showing the prosthetic before the application, it already did have the black symmetrical lines drawn onto it it's not drawn on top of the prosthetic during the application it is part of the prosthetic ah okay they work it in Mm -hmm. i guess that would save them some time too like not having to worry about that portion lining up yeah and like the that section of the prosthetic it's slightly raised from Mm -hmm. what i could see same ever so slightly and pre-colored before application and that's what i just saw in the image i saw i don't know if they carried through that every day i wasn't in the trailer but I watched them online. I, watched, I wasn't um, I, I wasn't in the trailer, per se. <laughs> um, and I watched someone online do a tutorial of this makeup with using pretty, like, great homemade prosthetics. And they made a separate silicone mold and colored it jet black. Like, they didn't just mm-hmm. paint it on. They actually, like, had the silicone mold and, like I said, had colored the silicone black and then laid it over the facial prosthetic. So I was quite curious as to if Joel Harlow and team did the same with that or if it was one piece mm. but in my brief shop knowledge i don't think i don't know how they would have colored two separate colors of silicone spontaneously because it's obviously like flesh colored mm-hmm. silicone and then these black lines mm-hmm. so that was fucking cool because i was just like it's trying to like you know visualize how they did that you know with like all those mathematical equations <laughs> yeah. above your head of, yeah like, how did they pre-color these lines and go into her face like how yeah. did that work out yeah, the amount of science and engineering. Yeah, or if it was, like, painted after and they paint, pre-painted it. Yeah, which would also be crazy because they are quite, like, matte. They don't look... It's... Yeah. And they're very, like, opaque. I got a lot mm-hmm. of questions about that one. So during the actual application, they applied the silicone facial prosthetic, and then I believe Richie Alonso had pre-made a bulletproof makeup formula, meaning it wouldn't ever run, bleed, or smudge to be hand-painted on to join the lines that run over the eyes and below the jaw. So mm. they obviously had this, like pre-colored um those black beautiful line work and then her facial prosthetic stuck it all on make sure that was obviously had to be symmetrical and not off at all yeah and then he then had his magic black formula of bulletproof makeup Mm -hmm. that he like went into the hairline went over the eyes like carried on down the jaw so even that itself like had to be 
symmetrical and had to be perfect and yeah. lining up Ugh, and also around the, the eye it's like that's so hard to smudge so yeah, you had to make this creation of makeup think about you had one too many coffees that day your hands shaky uh-uh. how are you gonna do jayla's makeup uh-uh. you're not you're not doing it mm-hmm. you're off the team you're benched so jayla's eyes also have a heavy eyeliner around the whole eye including the waterline with a false lash applied and some color on the actual lid with an opaque white design under the eye in between the black line pattern. Images will make this explanation clearer. Yeah, I think you definitely have to see this makeup to understand where the black lines are coming from. (laughs) Yeah, where these black lines are, and then there's, like, this thicker white, like, Mm -hmm. that's different from the color of her skin, kind of under her eye in between these lines. So, like, just not getting the smudging of, like, the black and the white. Yeah, because they're so different. Like, it'd be so easy to get muddy. It would just one wrong move, and it's gray. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. Literally. Um, They said during the application the trailer had to be completely still to get this makeup correct due to how symmetrical it is, and also it's black and white makeup. Like we said, contrasting colors will show your mistakes. Oh, yeah. Overall, this makeup was applied in two hours on the day. Wow. Yeah. So that kind of puts it into perspective because when you look at her makeup and when you look at Crawl's makeup, mm-hmm. you think that Crawl's makeup is maybe more complicated just because of the textures and the colors he's got it more has. Prosthetics on. He definitely has more prosthetics. His hands are, where, you know, he's got like all those textures and stuff. But when you put them next to each other, timing wise, they're gonna they're about the same because she's got a big facial prosthetic and she's got a and that's symmetrical painting that would take a while and she's got a wig and stuff and like the blending edge and everything like there's a lot going on definitely but i think they must have had those black lines pre-painted there must Mm -hmm. have been some or like even like a stencil or something that they could have used i don't know yeah that's a tough one yeah it really is but i if you know please you know what i think it's in joel harlow's book that he brought out that's another thing we should talk... Yes, Joe Harlow does have a book. If you're curious about any of these makeups, we tried to get a hold of it for this show, but we... For this episode, but we couldn't. Um, We'd really recommend it, though. Yeah, it's... I've been... I've looked through... A couple of my friends have had it, and I've gone through and mm-hmm. looked at a few makeups, and it's really interesting. He, like, dissects a lot of these makeups that he's designed for this film, and talks about how they did it, and the challenges each one had, and it really shows you how much thought went into even the most insignificant of background alien. The Harlow's book's called Star Trek Beyond the Makeup, Artistry of Joel Harlow. Mm-hmm. And during the construction and, like, creation period of Star Trek, he documented mm-hmm. over 5,000 photos and videos. He was apparently flying his drone over the shop, so the documentation from design, concept, sculpture, life cast, and the molding, whole nine yards. casting pieces, <laughs> pre-painting, application tests, retests, there's just a wealth of information on mm-hmm. each one of these 50-plus characters. Harlow also said that this book is a huge thank you to the crew who poured their blood, sweat, and tears into this book. Also, I want to give a a little credit to (laughs) blog.trekcore.com because they helped me get a lot of information. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, Um, I mean, it's just a wild makeup movie. It's just a wild movie, too. It's a really great movie, really great acting, really great characters, really great makeup. Yeah, it's a fucking huge Star Trek film. Yeah, and it's special spot in our heart because it was filmed in vancouver and we just wanted to to give it its own episode absolutely it's a fucking beast as well there's also a really good like fantastic tutorial 
on Jayla's makeup done by Richie and Harlow themselves and you can find it easily online. It's a very simplified version of the makeup and not identical to how it would have been done during filming. But mm-hmm. it's kind of like, if you want to dress up as Jayla <laughs> for Halloween. Make it yourself. Or just for the weekend. But you kind of see her facial prosthetic and silicone in that. They don't right. use it on the model in this version. It's more of like a face painting like anyone at home can do it. Yeah. But in that, you can see the black lines already pretty on there. And ah. it was silicone. Mm-hmm. There you go. So they can kind of line up the face. Yeah. Pretty darn freaking cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that... That does conclude us. That wraps up our Star Trek um, extravaganza. Um, I just feel like the film is just such a true representation of the hard work and skill level makeup, makeup effects artists are capable of in all areas of like sculpting, mold making, running, paintwork, and application. Definitely. I think that if you ever doubted like what can be done practically, watch this film and then you'll see like there's really no limits to what people are able to create now. It's insane. It's freaking beautiful yeah and overall the weeks and months of work with a village of artists working on a single makeup look which takes hours to apply on the day and even more hours to be created and then at the end of the day it's thrown away oh just, i know just I to know. be started again <laughs> yeah just to be started again is really just incredible world building art yeah for sure my heart it makes me feel grateful for to be a part of the industry and makes me feel excited for if a film like star trek ever comes to vancouver and and we are blessed with the opportunity to partake yeah i kind of just want to like shout out all the people like know the try and like know the names Mm -hmm. and like read through the imdb list but like honestly we'd be here for another 10 minutes like reading every name definitely but there's definitely some people that we've worked with we've been fortunate enough to work Mm -hmm. with who also worked on it and it's just pretty remarkable. I guess on that note, we can introduce our first trailer talk. I think we could. We could. Should we? Should we? I Something to we, look forward to? I really think we should. Okay, so exciting. <laughs> so as we mentioned, we're doing trailer talk interviews. That was mm-hmm. at the start of the podcast. And our first guest, we thought, like, let's pick someone who we can tie into our Star Trek episode. So we've asked a really amazingly talented, wonderful woman here in Vancouver, Day Cadman. If you're familiar with her name, she's got an extensive filmography. Mm-hmm. As does her partner, Holland Miller. Yeah, two very amazing, talented painters and just makeup artists. So she's been generous enough to give us some time to ask her some questions and not just about Star Trek, but just about her career and her... But she worked on it. She and, did. She yeah. worked on it. She did some super cool stuff for yeah. it. So we'll and definitely... Holland was working on it. And Holland, like, works with Joe Harlow a lot. So we'll definitely be talking to her about Star We're Trek. like, fan. <laughs> like... We'll be fangirling while we talk to her. Yeah. But, um... And we've both worked with Day numerous times. And yeah. Just... She's I just a love lovely when person. I see her name on the call sheet. So we're just really excited to talk to her. So get excited for that. <laughs> get excited for <laughs> that. excited, get excited I am. for that. Oh, a little bit of also BTS about Star Trek Beyond. Cindy and Joe Harlow appear as Vulcans in Yorktown. There you go. So there's a scene with Yorktown, and if you catch it, there's like a shot of them both turning around, and it's the like Joe Harlow and his wife as Vulcans. Very cool. Yeah pretty cool um, but yeah anyway and like <laughs> dick having work with joel and yeah. she did so much pre-painting for the film she's an amazing painter um so we'll be interviewing her in the coming month and um that's who our first trailer talk will be with and yeah we we just can't wait so look out for that coming soon for more star trek goodness and, yeah, and more makeup goodness yes more than we can explain 
Definitely. <laughs> I'm, I'm still like, why is the engineering behind this? <laughs> Tell Science. me your secrets. <laughs> so intrigued, but so clueless. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, do we want to talk about our product and our tip of the week? We should. We should do We that. should carry that through. Let's do that. Do you want to do the tip? Yes. All I wrote in my notes for tip was learn to be Joe Harlow. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, so given that Star Trek is such a heavy, heavy effects show, oh yeah, we thought we would have a little effects tip. Um, so when you're working with foam, and well, any prosthetic really, after you mold it, there's what's called flashing around the prosthetic, and that's basically the excess product that spews out when you smush the two molds together to get the imprint of what will be the prosthetic. It's kind of a complicated. <laughs> thing to explain. It's like me explaining Jay's lines. Yes. Easier via image. Yes, definitely. But there's basically this excess thickened bit of product around the prosthetic and around, which is called flashing. So with foam, it's best to gently kind of rip that flashing off. Lightly remove. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get like that kind of jagged edge, which... A nice blending edge. Exactly. Which then you'll blend into the actor afterwards. Whereas with silicone prosthetics... What is what they used on Star Trek through and through? Yes. You do the opposite. So you'll keep the flashing on, apply the piece, and then you'll use usually acetone to blend that edge into the skin. And as you're blending, the flashing will just melt off. And then you just throw that in the garbage and the prosthetic is on the person's wherever you stuck it. Yeah. Um, So that was our tip of this week. Yes, it was. If you're curious about the application of prosthetics. <laughs> yes, and we hope you are. <laughs> and the product of the week, um, I recently tried this and it has been amazing and I can't wait to get my hands on more. It is a product by South Korean skincare brand, Dr. Ja. I tried out the Cairo rubber face masks. Nice. They are a two-step intensive moisturizing kit recommended by the podcast Fat Mascara. What I would also recommend, they know their brands, they know their skincare, they're really awesome. Mm-hmm. Fat Mascara is where it's at. And they recommended it, and they're sold in Sephora, and I saw it. It kind of looks very, like, you when sent- I said rubber mask. <laughs> you sent me a picture of it, and you were like, I think we should do this for the product of the week. I'll be honest with you, for a second I thought you were joking, and it was like some odd latex mask thing. That you were- <laughs> and I was it like, looks ha, like very that. funny. And then when I read it, I was like, oh, this is a real thing. It's not like a gimp mask. No. It's nothing. <laughs> and, like, it's just you- an actual face mask. Yeah, and, like, self... Korea, they, they know their skincare. Listen, they they've great got some amazing skincare products. Dr. Jart, these face masks are where it's at, and the hydrating one is really, really, really tasty and good for your skin. And tasty. I think it would be <laughs> delicious. Mm. Eat that rubber mask. <laughs> <laughs> Did we mention we talk about bondage? <laughs> oh, God. Jesus. We don't. <laughs> yeah. And, um, oh, dude, we got to do the fun knowledge. Fun knowledge? Fun knowledge. This is just a one-off episode of a Welcome Back Season 2 Episode oh, 1. okay, yes. But it was taken from the Mighty Girl blog. You guys are probably like, what is fucking happening? This is the wildest. Where am I? Where, what are we talking about? We have, like, mishmashed well, all over the map. A galaxy like, far, far away. That's it, the, not Star Trek. No, That's wrong Star film. Wars. Hilarious. Okay, yep. Crawl! Eh, eh. <laughs> Kronk! Oh, crawl! Jesus, we're on film again! <laughs> Idris, forgive us. I'm a hot mess. Okay, uh, we're very overwhelmed. We haven't seen each other and we're like... So much serotonin. We haven't talked into a microphone and we're trying to just Uh, talk about makeup and we're still equally as clueless, but we're learning and we're confident and bear with us. 
this will be worth it in the end. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I really wanted to talk about because it was a 88th birthday of a very important person. Yes. And oh, I saw yes. this and I was like, we have to mention it because yes. it's so relevant to what we're doing. It was taken from the Mighty Girl blog. And like I said, it was recently the 88th birthday of Nichelle Nichols, who made television history in the 1960s with her portrayal of Star Trek character Lieutenant Natoya Ura. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. I haven't seen the 1960s versions, <laughs> the like series of Star Trek. In this breakthrough role, Nicole showed a black woman in a position of power as the fourth in command of the starship. Actress Whoopi Goldberg described the powerful impact that seeing Nicole's in this role and what that gave to her as a child. And to quote, when she was watching Star Trek, and I think it was nine years old, she said, she was like, Star Trek came on and she said she looked at it and she went screaming through the house saying, come here, mom, everybody come quick. There's a black lady on television and she ain't no maid. Oh. Nicole's made history again in 1968 as the portrayal of one of the first televised interracial kisses in a scene with William Shatner who played the show's lead Captain James T. Kirk. Nicole's came from an interracial family so she said during filming it wasn't new to her but she realized that she had the opportunity to bring it into the world. Yeah which is awesome and I think it's so cool too when you know that Whoopi Goldberg herself also starred in a Star Trek fran- in a Star Trek franchise. She, yeah. In, I think it was in 1987 the Star Trek The Next Generation. So like 20... 20- 27 years later. Yeah, so such like a full circle moment for her to see an idol represented on this show and then for her herself to fill a role like that. It just really... That's pure like sweet manifestation. Exactly. I just love that. Fantastic casting. Definitely. I love that she was a lieutenant. Yes. Yeah. Just killing it. Killing it. Nichelle, happy 88th. Happy 88th. I hope it's a very good year for you. Definitely. For you, our top listener, Michelle. <laughs> we we do love you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> As promised, the time has come. You've made it to the end. Let us give you your reward. <laughs> Ruby commence the generator. <laughs> Start, release the Kraken. <laughs> yeah, so like we mentioned at the start of the podcast is that we're going to be uh, focusing on a genre film that mm-hmm. we're both going to work on. And <laughs> The m- generator is stocked. <laughs> He is full. And yeah, we want to pick our topic through this, just a little generator app online. <laughs> um, and then we can announce it on here. We'll post about it. And then you can look forward to what genre that our films might be based. We're telling you the films we're going to be doing. And of course, we're going to be doing two films again, moving forward. Star Trek's just a fucking beast. Start the engines. It is time. Dun, da, da, da. We're doing a musical next week. Ooh, Ooh. get your dance shoes on. Get ready. Get ready, everyone. Yeah, we've got to get our thinking caps on with what ones we want to do. Mm-hmm. If you have any suggestions, please write a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever you're listening on the platform because that helps us a bunch, we found out. Yes. So, yeah. As we learn to navigate this podcast app, turns out those are good. Yeah, so please, if you want to. None of, like... If you feel obliged. Yeah, don't be like, oh, yeah, a bit shit, but we'll write two stars. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, you can't. I... Yeah. Free, free speech, I guess. But... <laughs> Yeah, we found out that helps us, so we'd really appreciate. And like I said, if you've heard of it, we have Instagram and Twitter. Oh, yes. If you'd like to follow us on either of those, you can find our Instagram at at blushandstuffpod, and you can find our Twitter page at at blushandstuff underscore pod. And if you'd like to contact us for any inquiries, we are blushandstuffpod at gmail.com. 
And with that, that pretty much concludes our introduction and kickoff of Blush and Stuff Season 2. What a hot mess. What a hot, hot mess this was. I loved it. (laughs) Just keeping with our brand, really. (laughs) (laughs) So much love to you. I hope you have a lovely day. Yes. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy good times. Welcome to Season 2.